We're going to be uh, preaching tonight from the book of Mark. So if you could, please grab your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 9 tonight. We'll be in Mark chapter 9, right towards the end of the chapter. If you need a little uh, guidance finding Mark, you'll find it in the New Testament. It is the second gospel. So the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, will be in Mark chapter 9 tonight. And uh, I want to preach on a subject that I think is not the most loved subject to be talked about in church, or really anywhere for that matter. Uh, We're going to talk about hell tonight. And uh, I think it's important to to give proper respect uh, to hell and what it is, why it exists, why God made it. but not to shy away from it, because, listen, you can't talk about heaven without talking about hell. Uh, eternity is, is two destinations. And if you only ever talk about one and you never talk about the other, you are ignoring and doing a disservice to the Word of God, in my opinion. So Mark chapter 9, we're going to read from verse 42 uh, to verse 50, and this uh, message is called, Don't Sleep on Hell. All right, Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 42. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he were cast into the sea. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. For every one shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good. But if the salt have lost his saltness, wherewith will ye season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace one with another. Amen. Amen. Let's have a word of prayer to start the message here. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask you to just come down here and speak to us now. Father, set me aside. Uh, Speak to us directly through your word. Speak to us the message that you would have us here, Lord. May it fall on ears that are ready to receive it. May it stir up our hearts, our souls, our minds, Lord. And maybe we just go back out into the world after this and be ready, Lord, for whatever you would uh, have for us this week. Uh, we thank you for being so good. We thank you for loving us, Lord. And we thank you most of all for uh, sending your Son to save us, Lord. And uh, we pray these things in the name of that Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 So we read these verses here. Uh, raise your hand if you've read this passage in Mark before. I've read it a, f- a few times anyway. Do you notice, I, I just want to call attention to something here real quick. Do you notice how often... Uh, Christ, he's speaking to his disciples right here. Do you notice how often he mentions hell and hellfire? The worm, where the worm dies not, where the fire is not quenched. He says it over and over and over and over again. Now, why would he do that? Just think on that for a second. He gives us three examples. He says, if your hand offends you, cut off your hand. If your foot offends you, cut off your foot. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. Has anyone ever seen... This put a, a picture in my head that is a little peculiar. Uh, this put a picture in my head of a, a one-handed, one-footed, one-eyed Christian wearing an eye patch. Now, I've never personally met someone like that, but if I did, I would conclude that they very, very seriously take the word of God. Amen? And listen, Christ is giving an example here. He's giving a message. The message was made clear at the first, mes- at the first point. 
The first point, if your hand offends you, cut it off. Meaning if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Because it's better for you to go through life with one hand missing than to go to hell with both hands. But why would he continue? And why would he talk about your foot and your eye? And he probably could have kept going. The point is, Christ is emphasizing this. He says it more than once because he's giving extra importance to it. He didn't have to talk about the foot or the hand. We kind of got the message from uh, just the one example. But it is important. You know, when Christ talks about this, when he's warning you in this passage, he's warning you about hell as someone who's reading his word. He doesn't want you to forget about it. He doesn't want you to ignore it. He doesn't want you to go through life not thinking about it. Okay? And I'm going to give you one counterpoint to that. Okay? Christ does not want you to forget about hell. He wants it to be in your mind. He wants you to be aware of it. Okay? The world out there, they want you to forget about it completely. Amen? This world does not want you, first off, they don't want you to read God's word. They don't want you to sit in church today. They don't want you to come to church on Sunday. They don't want you to sing hymns. They don't want you to talk about heaven or hell. They don't want you to preach the gospel. They don't want you to use the name Jesus Christ unless it's as a curse word. They don't want you to do any of that. And why is that? Because this world is not following our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This world is following their own devices. And we are living in this day and age in a world that is designed to blind you to the gospel and to make you forget all about heaven and hell. Let me give you just some proof of what I'm talking about. You know, as a young person, I kind of wondered, you know, I counted myself fortunate to be born in this day and age. You know, the year I was born in 1984, okay? The year 1984, coming up on the year 2000, seems like a great time to be alive. And there's a lot of creature comforts out there. But is this really the best time to be alive? I, I tell you, we are surrounded by so many distractions. We might have been better off being born two, three hundred, four hundred years ago when at least we knew what was important and we weren't shy to talk about it. Let me give you an example of just how many distractions are out there. Okay, this, this question I'm going to ask you, it's not a judgmental question, so don't be afraid to raise your hand. Raise your hand if you have a Netflix account. Okay. I, ha I used to have one. Amen. Uh, one, one particular show, I said, that's it. It's done. Uh, <laughs> put my foot down a little bit. But listen, I, I want you to imagine, okay, with your Netflix account, what is it? 12, 13 bucks a month, something like that. You can beam entertainment from the internet into your, into your house. All right, imagine you set off on a mission. You said, you know what? I love just binging. I love watching Netflix. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to binge every single show and movie on Netflix. That's my, that's my mission. That's my goal. Now, I did the math on this. If you binged Netflix and you wanted to watch every available piece of content on Netflix for eight hours a day, how long do you think it would take you? The answer is 12 and a half. Not weeks, 12 and a half. Not months, 12 and a half years of watching Netflix eight hours a day. And that kind of shocked me. I actually wasn't that surprised, but it kind of scared me. This is a, we live in a day and age where things are designed to just captivate you, take your attention away from what's important, and just keep you glued to a screen. And when I hear something like that, it tells me there's probably some 25-year-old out there who has spent half his life watching Netflix. And he's watched everything on Netflix, and now he needs something else to do because he's bored. But listen, I'm telling you that Satan and the world, they want you distracted 24-7. They don't want you in this room right now. But how do we know that? Okay, I can stand up here, I can say that. I can point to things like Netflix. I can point to this and that, whatever other activities you have. But let's prove it from God's word. Flip back a few, a few pages to Mark chapter 4. We're going to look at Mark chapter 4, verse 19, just a few pages back. 
And this is a verse, okay? The Gospel of Mark was written uh, right after Christ uh, came and served, ran his ministry, was killed, buried, and resurrected. Okay, so after that, uh, this was written about 2,000 years ago, but this verse, Mark chapter 4, verse 19, I think is more true today than it's ever been at any point in human history. I think it's more true today. Let me read it for you. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. Amen. You can sit here on a Wednesday night, on a Sunday morning. You can hear God's word. You can have it preached right at you. It might go right to your soul. It might fire you up. It might encourage you. You can go out into the world and you can lose any inspiration you had in a matter of minutes, maybe hours. It doesn't take long. Because what does the world and what does the devil want to do? They want to squelch that word of God. They don't want you to act on God's word. They don't want you to serve. They don't want you to witness. So if they can suppress you and keep you distracted 24-7, like binge-watching Netflix for 12 and a half years, that's one way they're going to do it. You know, maybe they get you looking at Instagram, or maybe they get you scrolling on Facebook. I mean, you pick your poison. I could stand up here and preach all day long for 12 and a half years. I'm not going to, but the point is, this world doesn't want you to be sitting in these pews right now. They want you distracted. And let's, let's, let's dig a little deeper on this, okay? This world is not the world of our grandparents. This world is not the world of our great-grandparents. The things that we're subjected to, the things that we have to struggle with and overcome, they probably didn't have to deal with, okay? I mean, they had other things, but the, the amount of distraction and the amount of things that will take your eyes off of Christ were probably fewer and further between. You know, they had to work a lot harder for what they had, amen? To prove it to you, I want to do just a short little exercise, okay? I want everyone to take both your hands and raise them up. Now, if you have a shoulder problem, you know, that's okay. You don't have to participate, but just just follow along with me. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to name, like, a comfortable thing of this day and age, like a modern comfort. And if it's something that you think you could not live without, you're like, I can't live without that. If that goes away, like, I'm done, I'm through. I want you to lower one of your hands, okay? So you'll get two shots. If I name a second thing that you couldn't live without, you lower your second hand. And we're going to see who the, uh, who the toughest ombre in the room is. <laughs> Amen? All right. We're going to start off heavy. This, this is kind of in reverse order. Uh, lower a hand if you can't live without electricity. I'm, 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 I'm bending the knee on that one. As tough as I would like to think I am, if you take away electricity and everything that is powered by electricity, I'm out. Uh, Okay, lower a hand if you can't live without air conditioning. Okay, okay, you still in? Okay, okay. All right, right, we're going to keep going. All right, all right, lower a hand if you think you could not live without refrigeration and freezers. Okay, keep going. All right, how about this one? Lower a hand if you cannot live without hot showers. Oh. <laughs> Got a few people there. All right, all right. All right. Lower a hand if you cannot live without fast food. That includes, including Grubhub, DoorDash, Postmates, whatever else. All right, all right. Got a few. Lower a hand if you think you cannot live without the internet. Amen. All right. Lower a hand if you can't live without television. Television. TV. TV. All right. Lower a hand if you can't live without computers or smartphones. All right. How about this one? Lower a hand if you can't live without your memory foam mattress and pillow. 
I got somebody with that one. All right, finally, lower your hand if you can't live without two-day shipping for free. All right. Okay, so we got, we got some tough people in the room. I'm, I'm impressed. You can put your hands down. Thank you for your participation. The, the point of this exercise, the point of this exercise is to just show you that when it comes to things that the world has for us, things that, you know, mankind and Satan have really worked hard to, to purvey and, and develop in this world, technologies, they're all designed to do the same thing, to make you comfortable. Now, why is that? Why does the world want you to be so comfortable? Why do they want you to be able to sit on a couch, kick up your feet, grab your big gulp and your big bite, and watch Netflix for eight hours? Why do they want you to be able to do that? Yeah. It's suppression. Yeah. Pure and simple, it's suppression. Yeah. As a Christian believer, okay, this is twofold. As a Christian believer, if you're sitting on the couch watching TV, how much work are you doing for God? Sure. Don't, don't kid yourselves, <laughs> amen? And I'm, I'm not preaching to anyone except for myself. Um, I waste a lot of time in front of a TV screen. I wish I didn't, but it's time that if I had developed or, or you know, used that time to read the Word of God or to pray or to talk to somebody or call somebody up or send a message about God, I could have done so many things instead that would be serving God. But this is twofold, okay? So it suppresses Christians, but it also suppresses the unsaved. Because the unsaved, the lost, the lost souls out there in the world of which the majority of the world is lost. We know that from God's Word. If they're distracted on a couch for eight hours a day and every need is met, they don't need to work for their food, they push a few buttons on their phone and someone brings it to them, here's your cheesesteak and fries, do they care about salvation? Do they care about heaven and hell? I think deep down they, they do, but it's so suppressed. You know, if, if life and death was screaming at them in the face, if they were fighting in the middle of a bloody war in Ukraine and Russia, they would probably be a lot more concerned about it, wouldn't they? But in this country and in this world, in any developed country, what you find is that society is trying really hard to push the gospel down and to bury it so that you don't even have to think about it. Because every basic need that you have and every source of entertainment you could ever conceive is right at your, fingership, at your fingertips. And that's a wicked thing. That's a wicked thing. Our great-grandparents didn't have to deal with this nonsense. You know, I, I think of my grandma and my grandpa, and they were people that had incredible faith. And I almost think that in some ways it was easier for them to be focused because the distractions were fewer and further between. But let's keep going with this, okay? So Satan wants the world to snare you. Satan wants the world to enslave you. Satan wants the world to addict you. Satan wants the world to bind you. And why? So that he can lull you to sleep so that you forget about serving Christ. If the world and if the devil lulls you into a a sense of sleep and binge watching and doing whatever else, you will waste your days, you will waste your weeks, your months, your years, and you will not serve the Lord as well as you could. Amen. That's a fact. That's a pure fact. Now, this crowd out here, being on a Wednesday night, we're out here. I give a lot of credence to that. I, I give you a lot of praise for coming out on a Wednesday night. You know, we're doing more than most folks out there in the world would ever do for the Lord, okay? But I think we're only scratching the surface. There's a lot to be done, and there's a world that needs to be reached. And missionaries sitting here in the front, right in these pews, is a great example of how God, how Christ called us to serve. You know, the Great Commission doesn't say to stay home and watch Netflix. Thank God it doesn't. The Great Commission says, go forth. I send you to all nations to preach the gospel. Go and baptize in my name. That's what we're called to do. Now, if, if you don't like the mission, I don't know what to say to you. You know, you're going to have to talk to the commander-in-chief about that. But the mission's been simple, and it's been the same mission for 2,000 years. It has never changed. 
Just like God's word has never changed. You can stand on this word because it is consistent. But the devil wants to lull you to sleep so that you forget to serve. And I can say that, but let's look in God's word to prove it. We're, uh, we should be in Mark chapter 4. Look at verse 15. Look at verse 15. This is a, here comes Satan to give you a back rub. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. The devil has an active mind to take the word of God out of your heart and throw it in the trash so that you forget all about it. You ever wonder how you can listen to a message and you're sitting here in the pews and you're like, man, that was, that was a fantastic message. That preaching was so great today. That guest preacher or Pastor Phil, they were on fire today and I feel so great. And the next week you don't even remember what the message was about. Yeah. Amen? What happened? What happened? You went out into the world and you got chopped up. It happens. You can't blame yourself for coming under attack. It's going to happen, okay? What I want you to be aware of is just understand how this world is designed. This world is designed to take you hearing the word of God and rip it right out of you, throw it in the trash, and make you have to go find it again. Now, this verse is really talking about those who are lost, okay? When you preach the gospel to them, you know, they might hear it, they might receive it, they might get excited, maybe even they want to get saved, or maybe they say, oh, I'm not ready yet, but maybe tomorrow, and then they forget all about it. But this applies to us too, I believe that, because as Christians, you know, we will go through times where we are more fired up for the Lord, or we may go through times where we, we set out to conduct a project. Or maybe it's something simple. Maybe it's, you know what, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to read through the whole Bible this year. I'm going to do it. And then life comes at you. The world comes at you. The devil comes at you. And attacks you in every conceivable way just to get you off your schedule. Because if you miss that one service, if you miss that one day of reading your Bible, <laughs> you break the habit and you might as well be done for. It can be very hard. It's much harder to get going again once you stop than it is if you're already going and you just keep that momentum, okay? So don't let that one little time trip you up. If you fall off the horse, don't sit there and watch the horse run away. <laughs> Chase that horse down and get back up, all right? There's, there's, there's work to be done. All right, so Satan does not want you to live a life based on God's word. He doesn't. Satan wants you to live really no life at all. Satan wants you to be dead. Satan wants you to go to hell where the fire is never quenched, where the worm dieth not. And the ironic thing is, you know, Satan is the only one that's actually bound and committed to hell. The rest of the world, you know, as sinners, we're all headed there unless we get saved. But at least we have a way out. The devil has no way out. The devil doesn't want you to think about hell. Do you realize that? He's a liar. He's a deceiver. And he masquerades as an angel of light. The devil does not want you to think about hell. Why not? Because if you think about hell, you might scare yourself into getting saved. Amen? There's a reason um, that he doesn't want you to think about it because he doesn't want you to live a life that would serve God. But what does God do? Does God want us to think about hell? Does Jesus Christ want us to think about hell? You better believe it. Why is hell mentioned in the Bible? Why is hell mentioned in the New Testament? Why did Christ preach about hell where the fire is never quenched, where the worm dieth not? You know why the worms don't die? Because there's an endless food supply and new bodies to feed on. It is completely and utterly devoid. But God wants you to think about it. Christ wants you to think about it because it is important and it's a warning. I want to give you a little illustration here, okay? And this will hopefully drive the point home a little bit. And I want you to understand the world's condition, the world's spiritual condition, the condition of the unsaved that are out there in the world that have no hope in Jesus Christ, that don't even know what he's done for them. 
Think about their spiritual condition as I tell you about this. Imagine you're taking uh, like a road trip. Okay, let's say you're going to drive from here to, uh, let's say, Ohio. Okay? Maybe seven-hour, eight-hour drive, something like that. Six hours if you're really booking it. Uh, I guess you're going to jump on the turnpike and you're going to start heading west, heading towards Ohio. It's pretty much a straight shot if you get on the turnpike. You, you'll hit Ohio if you don't stop. And uh, as you're going, let's say you're driving along. you got a, a nice car, you know. Maybe it's one of those cars that has the, the nice cruise control. So you don't really need to pay too much attention to the road. So you really, you got those creature comforts, the heated seats, the air conditioning, the this, the that, your Wawa sandwich. Uh, you're ready to go. So you get into this road trip a few hours, and you're just kind of in tunnel vision, staring at the road as you go, not paying too much attention, listening to your music, whatever. Hopefully it's Christian music, but maybe it's worldly music. You keep going. And uh, you notice this sign, you know, this big flashing sign. You say, what is that? You, know, you get a little closer. It's one of those construction signs on the road where they can make it say whatever they want. It says, bridge out ahead. You think, well, that's a little odd. I don't see anyone working. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe that's a sign they forgot to take down or something. How many of you would stop immediately? Mm-hmm. Philip. <laughs> <laughs> Philip, you have good sense about you. Please do not ignore such a sign. Um, okay, but how many of us would actually stop? I, I would keep going. I'd be like, listen, the sign can say that all day long until I see that there's no bridge and I'm about to drive over a cliff. I, I got places to be. I'm going. So you keep driving. You keep going. Finally, you see like a sign like passes you by on the, on the right-hand side. says, bridge out ahead. You're like, well, that's two. Well, maybe there's something to this. And what happens next? You keep driving. A few miles go by. Uh, your phone starts beeping at you. You look at it. You got a text message from your... Uh, Maybe from your spouse or your significant other or somebody. Could be someone you shouldn't be talking to. Maybe that's just as well. You start looking at your phone. And you're trying to make sense of it. I know none of you do this. You start responding to the text message as you're driving. The next thing you know, there's a solid bump because your car's careening through a guardrail. And you realize that bridge is actually out. And you've smashed through the guardrail and your car is now headed off a cliff into a river below. Maybe a 100 feet plunge. And as you're sitting there with your smartphone in your hand, feeling the weight of gravity fall up into your stomach, you think, wow, maybe I should have listened to those signs. And this world is designed to make you do just that. This world is designed to put you on a one-way course straight to hell and make you ignore all the warning signs by distracting you from it completely until it's too late. That's the way this world operates. That's what this world is trying to do. That is what we are up against. And that's not an easy task because people out there in this world that are not saved... How many of them want to hear what this book has to say? You want to talk about breaking the ice. You're trying to break through the Antarctic ice. All right? You might as well forget a sledgehammer. You're going to need an ice drill and snow packing gear because what you're trying to do is monumental. And this world, these folks from their very birth have just been inundated with technology, distractions, this, that, everything they need, every met need, every, every need met. What do they need the gospel for? They've never even thought about it. When you talk to them about Jesus Christ, you might be the first person in their life that's ever mentioned the man to them. That could be the case. And what are we, what are we to do? Do we shy away from it? You know what? We might be playing against a stacked deck, but people out there still get saved. There's people out there that will still hear the gospel. There's people out there that will still choose to put their faith in Christ because people out there, they do eventually, at some point or another, face their own mortality. This world and this life ends one of two ways. You go to the grave saved and you're headed to heaven, or you go to the grave unsaved and you go to hell. 
where the fire is never quenched, where the worm dieth not. I want you to think about a hard question with me. You know, we, we, we come to church, we sing, we worship, we praise, we do ministries, we hear the word of God, we read the Bible. That's great. And it is fantastic. There are hard questions that we can't shy away from. You know, there's churches where if you preach hell on a Sunday service, the next week half the people might not come back because they don't want to hear it. And I can tell you, even Christians will say, ah, oh, I love messages about God's love and his forgiveness and his mercy. I hate when they talk about hell. It should make you uncomfortable. This is a warning. It's not designed to be warm and fuzzy. This is a warning about where your soul is going to spend eternity. And if you get it wrong, as most of the world will, you're out of luck. But let's ask a hard question here. Wait a minute, wait a minute. So if hell is for all eternity, we know this. How is it fair that God can send someone to burn in hell for all eternity? It's a fair question to ask, right? It's a hard question. How can a loving God, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life, how can that same God send someone to hell to be tormented forever? Is that fair? I'll follow that up with a second question. Is it fair for a sinner to go to heaven for all eternity and to live with God in perfection? Is it fair for a sinner to escape any punishment for their sins and get to be in eternal bliss with the Lord in perfection? Well, that's not fair either. You know, it's not fair for a sinner to go to heaven. You know, we might want to believe it's not fair for us to go to hell, even though it is. But listen, fairness went out the window when Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden. Once that fruit was eaten, once, once Adam and Eve broke God's commandment, that was it. God made it fair and square. God made it perfect in the garden. All they had to do was obey God's commandments. They couldn't do it. And you know what? No one since then has been able to do it either. So the question is not, is it fair that God sends people to hell? Listen, God is holy. God is just. If God did not punish sinners, God would be a hypocrite. That's a fact. Sin cannot exist with God. They cannot mix. God has to punish sinners. That's why hell has to be used. Sin has to go there. There's no other option. God is holy. God is just. God has to punish sin. So what are we supposed to do? Do we just hang our heads and say, well, it's kind of a bummer? No. I want you to bear with me for just one more moment, and then I'm going to give you some good news, even though most of us already know it. I want you to imagine for a second. I want you to imagine what it would be like if God plucked you right here out of this pew and actually put you into hell, actually put you into literal hell for 60 seconds. I want you to imagine how that would feel. How would that feel to feel, smell that sulfur burning, to feel the, the flesh on your skin being boiled, to see the, the piles of bodies screaming in agony, yelling out? I mean, I wouldn't last a minute. Are you kidding me? I, it's hard for me to even think about it for five, ten seconds. But I tell you this, if God plucked you out of this room and put you in literal hell for one minute, no God, no hope, no comfort, and then brought you back, I guarantee you, you would live your life completely different from that day forward. That would be a wake-up call that would spur real action in you. And it would spur real action in me. Because if I actually experienced, even for 60 seconds, what that was like, I would not be the same person. I would never be the same person. And I would do everything in my power to stop the rest of this world from going there. You know, I'd be like one of those people that you see at the, at the stadiums 
or at a college campus with the megaphone and the sign saying, repent, the end is near. Don't go to hell. There's a better way. I would become one of those people because the experience of, you know, I can read about hell in the book, but I'm only scratching the surface with my imagination. If I actually had to physically be there, I, I, I almost refuse to even think about it. I almost refuse to entertain the idea because it's so nasty. But the good news is this. There has to be good news, right? God didn't do this for no reason. You know, we broke God's commandments in the Garden of Eden, and we brought sin into the world. And through Adam, sin entered and passed on to all of humankind, and we're all imperfect, you know? And God can't, God can't take sin. He can't. He can't accept it. He can't mix with it. Have you ever cleaned, like, uh, cleaned something real nice, like your car or like a window or maybe like your countertops? Spotless, perfect. It feels good, right? Yeah. God likes a clean slate. God likes perfect. That's, that's great for him. He can't deal with little spots and this and that. When he looks at this planet, he probably gets a little overwhelmed. It's kind of amazing that he's so long-suffering and so patient because if it was me, I would have pulled the plug a long time ago. Yeah. But here's where I'm going with this, okay? The good news is God made a way out, okay? We don't have to drive off that bridge. We don't have to careen through those guardrails. We don't have to go to hellfire where the worm dieth not and the fire is never quenched. God made a better way. You know why? Because God loves us. So you say, well, hold on. It doesn't feel fair that he would send us to hell for all eternity. Well, it's not fair that he would allow you to go to heaven either. But by dying on a cross, that is precisely what he did. When Jesus Christ lived the perfect sinless life, he died in your place on Calvary. And when he died in your place, he enabled you to have your sins forgiven, to be paid for. There's no better gift than that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I can't imagine what it must have felt like for God to see his own son getting smote on the cross. You know, I can't even imagine how brutal that must have been. But you know what? God did it for you and you and you and you and you and you. Everyone in this room, God took your place on the cross. Everyone out there in the world, everyone that you can't believe would ever get saved, God loves them too, just as much. And he calls us to love them too, you know? Christ says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. Love your neighbor as yourself, amen? And the good news is, there was a much better way. God knew we were, God knew, God knew we fouled the whole thing up. God knew we were, we were dead to rights and that we deserved to go to hell. But God made a safety escape. He made a detour. He made an exit ramp on that highway that all we have to do is go to the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ. Amen. Faith in Christ saves you from hell. You don't have to go there. If you're saved in this room today, you never have to go to hell. Jesus Christ went for you. He conquered that already. He conquered that death. And he rose again, proving he is God. Amen. That's how good our God is. That's how much he loves us. He broke his own rules to save your soul. Do you realize that? He broke his own rules to be able to save your soul. That's how good our God is. And I can't do anything but be thankful for him, thankful to him for that. And if you take nothing, away, nothing else away from this message tonight, you know, just go through your life and go through your days aware of what the world is trying to do. You know, because if you, if you read this book every day, if you pray, if you stay faithful in your walk with God, God will make sure that you're on the right path. Believe me, I stray, I falter, I stumble. He picks me up, he faces me towards the right path, and he keeps me going, okay? But understand what the world is trying to do to you and have some compassion on the people out there in the world because they are living in a world that is designed to take this book and flush it down the toilet. You, we are living in a world that is designed to not hear the gospel. 
And that makes our job harder. But the good news is the Holy Spirit helps us. We don't go it alone. When you talk to somebody about Christ, God already set that appointment up. He already set up that conversation. You may worry about, oh, what am I going to say? What am I going to talk about? Listen, talk about the gospel. Talk about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I promise you, you can't go wrong. You may not save the person, but listen, you may just get under their skin a little bit, kindle that fire, and someday they just might get saved. It's up to them. It's up to them. God gives them free will. All of us have free will. We chose to get saved. We repented and put our faith in the cross. But if nothing else, understand that this world will try to keep you from doing that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being a, a God, Lord, who loves us so much. Lord, I, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that all of us, Lord, we've all fallen short of your glory. But you always had a, mi- a plan in mind. Uh, you didn't shy away from it. You didn't allow us, Lord, to go through um, just a miserable fate in hell, Lord. You made a way for us to get saved. You took our place on the cross. When we could never do anything, Lord, to save ourselves, you came down and did it for us. And I thank you for that, Lord. I pray, Lord, that this message tonight would resonate with this room, the souls in this room, Lord, uh, whoever it has to reach. I just pray that your word would go forth, Lord, not return void, but that it would accomplish that which you set it out to do. And uh, thank you for this opportunity, Lord. Thank you for this week. May we go out there, Lord, Gospel Light Baptist Church in Philly. May we do something great for your name, Lord. Please use us for your service. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.